once was bound by sin and shame. I had no thoughts for Jesus' name, but then he came and lifted me. By his grace I am set free. Oh, the mercy falling down on a sinful soul like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. Lord, your grace has set me free. Lord, your grace has set me free. And now I live a life of praise. I live by faith and by his grace. I give my life, however small, he is worthy of my all. Oh, the mercy falling down on a like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. Lord, your grace has set me free. Set me for that. We're going to be turning in our Bibles to James chapter number four tonight. James chapter number four. Now, if you've been here a while, you know that we've been going through a series on the one another's of the Bible. There are certain passages in the Bible that tell us what to, how, what to do and how to treat one another, specifically within the church. And so far, we have covered, we talked about loving one another, We've talked about accepting one another, comforting one another, valuing one another, being like-minded with one another, teaching and admonishing one another, and confessing to one another. And honestly, this list could go on and on and on because there, like I said, there are 52 of them. I could have preached on this for an entire year. But it could have included praying for one another, showing hospitality to one another, submitting to one another, encouraging one another, serving one another, greeting one another, and forgiving one another. Now, greeting one another would have been a little bit harder because the passage that talks about greeting one another says greet one another with a holy kiss, and I didn't feel like I wanted to preach on that. So, okay, okay. but uh, we started a few weeks ago talking about the negative one another's, okay? These are things that we are not supposed to do in the way that we are treating one another, and we talked about judging one another last time, and we talked about this whole idea in the Bible about judging. Um, most people's minds automatically go to Matthew chapter 7, which says, judge not, one, um, judge not lest ye be judged, right? Um, but the Bible has more to say on this topic of judging than just that one verse. And in fact, that one verse is taken out of context. So we looked in, in full at what the doctrine of 
judging is within scripture, because judging really just means to discern, okay? But we wanted to understand, what does the Lord say? What are we not supposed to do in the way that we interact with other believers? And tonight, we're going to be picking up the second one. This is found in James chapter 4, verse number 11. James 4, verse number 11. It says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and one who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So verses 11 and 12 there kind of introduce our topic tonight on our command, what, the way we are to interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ is that we are not to speak evil one of another. Now, we're, first of all, we're going to look at the command. Okay? This, this sermon is going to be more uh, topical. We're going to go to a couple different passages. But the first section is the command here that we find in verse number 11, which tells us, speak not evil one of another. What does it mean to speak evil of somebody? Okay? Literally, the words mean to speak against. Okay? To speak against. It can carry the idea of slander, although that comes from a different Greek word in the, in the text. But it could be slander, it could be criticism, and it could be gossip. And common to speaking against, and slander is a malicious desire to tear somebody down. Now, everything we've talked about with the one another is they were intended to teach us how to interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ and how to build up the body of Christ. If the church is going to be what it ought to be, the members of the church need to be functioning properly. It's kind of like a car. I've got some scratches all up on my hand because last night uh, Ben and I were changing out the thermostat in uh, my car. And so I scratched my hands up pretty well, okay? But if something goes wrong inside your engine, what's going to happen to the rest of the car? It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up, right? That thermostat in there, it's a cheap part. It's an easy part to get to and, and to fix. But if you let that thing go long enough, your car could blow up, okay? So you've got to have fun functioning pieces within the engine for the car to operate properly. And in the way we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to be interacting properly uh, in order for the church to be the things that it ought to be. So this command to not speak against one another is the idea of attacking one another. Instead of building up, what are we doing? We're tearing down. We're tearing each other down. It's the opposite. It's the exact opposite of the way we are to be interacting with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so it is, it is a negative command. It is also an ongoing process. It says, speak evil Speak not evil one of another. This isn't a battle that is going to be won in a day. The struggle with speaking against others is a constant struggle. I think this is probably the number one battle that most people face. And honestly, according to James, we're all guilty of this. We all fail in this area, right? Um, and we'll, we'll cross-reference to James chapter 3, verse number 1 and 2 here says... My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offends not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. If there is a single person in this building who has not used their lips in a wrong way to tear down other people, you're perfect. Okay, we probably should be worshiping you, but we're not because you're not perfect. Okay, so we all offend in this area. And James is 
command in verse number one is, brethren, don't desire or be not many masters. And the word masters here is teachers. Okay, and why, why would, would we not want you to be teachers? Because teachers have to give an account for every word that they say. And we all offend in our words. We all have opportunities to abuse with our speech. And the more words you say, the more opportunities you're going to have to use your words in a wrong way. Back in James 4, verse number 11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He grounds his command in the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we should not be seeking to tear each other down. Again, this is the opposite of building up the body of Christ. You should want what is best for your brother. This is true of a physical brother, but it's also true of your spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he says, He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. Now this, this verse really ties in what we are talking about tonight with the last one another we looked at. If you are speaking evil of one another, you are also judging one another. You're guilty of both sins if you're doing this right here. And so he, tell, he tells us not to speak evil of one another because he that speaks evil of his brother judges his brother. Unbiblically, unbiblically judging his brother. So does this mean that we should never say anything negative to or about another person? I think the key here is, and if you compare other passages of scripture, the key here is what is the motive behind what you are saying? That's, that's really encompassed in that word evil, right? What is evil? Evil is a malicious intent to harm, right? Negativity isn't always evil in and of itself. And I'll give you some examples here, okay? Um, you could say something that is negative, but it's intended to help somebody. Like, let's say Luke walks in the, in the door today and he didn't comb his hair, and it's all, like, everywhere, okay? So I go up to him and said, say, Luke, your hair looks a mess, okay? Now, why did I say that? Was I trying to tear Luke down? Yes, no, okay, so, no, I'm not trying to tear him down, I'm trying to let him know, hey, there's something you might want to fix before other people see it, right, okay, and, and I'm trying to help him out. That's an example of saying something that may be taken negatively, a negative type statement, but the motivation behind it is a positive thing, and I think a lot of times there, we don't think about the way we approach people, um, we, we default for the sinful way of talking about people and to people, but we have to ask ourselves, first of all, are, we, are you saying something negative to that person? How many of us, when we see something that somebody else has done wrong, we go to somebody else and we talk about it? You think about work, workplaces, okay? I worked at Chick-fil-A. Okay, you see uh, somebody who's doing something wrong over in the breading section, and instead of going up to them and saying, hey, you're, you're messing with that chicken wrong, you need to be doing it this way, we go and we talk to all the other crew and say, they need to start getting their act together, right? And we start complaining and griping and criticizing behind their back, right? And we're not talking to that person. Well, if you don't talk to that person, how can you help them? How can they grow? How can they correct what they're, what they're, mis what they're messing up on? You have to actually talk to that person if you're going to help them to benefit from it or to grow from it. Secondly, are you saying something negative to that person to help them? Okay, emphasis on to help there. What is the motive behind what you are saying? Do you really want to see them grow or are you just venting your frustrations at them? Okay. 
Sometimes we can get into this justified indignation type mindset where we're angry and we want to let them have a piece of our minds and we think, oh, they need to hear this because it'll, it'll, it'll change their lives, but our motivation isn't actually change. It's just pouring out what's stored up and bottled up inside of us and we're, we're getting angry at them. But then sec- uh, next one is, are you saying something negative about a person to get help for that person? Now, there are times when you might talk about somebody's need, an area that is lacking in their life, to another person. But what makes it different from gossip? Gossip would be just talking about them, just to talk, just to tear them down, just to make them look bad. But there are circumstances where you might need to talk to somebody because you need that other person to help you help this person. Um, One example of that is Matthew chapter 18. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. Matthew 18, verses 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, and if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Okay, that's the first step here. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses... Every word may be established. Well, let me ask you this. How do you get these two or three witnesses to come with you? You have to have told them something, right? But what is the motivation behind talking about this need? It is so we can go and we can help this person get right, and we can correct the problem. And so there is a time to talk about people and their negative needs if the intent is to go and to get them the help that they need. This, is, this process of getting them help sometimes and under the right conditions involves getting other people involved. But this is an intercession and not a gossip session, okay? We're not getting together just to vent and gossip, but we're getting together to try to intercede and help this person out. So that is the command that, about evil speaking. The next thing is we're going to talk about is the source of evil speaking. We're going to turn back to James chapter number 3. James chapter number three, the source of evil speaking. Why is it that we feel this tendency so much to say negative things about other people? James chapter three kind of helps us diagnose this problem a little bit. James three, verse eight through 12. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom." But if ye have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. I read a couple extra verses there, but those are pretty good verses. So, Where, What is the source? Why do we feel the urge to say negative things about people, to tear people down? And it all comes down to the heart. Okay, And, 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 we'll, and we'll develop this a little bit more, but James in this passage talks about 
three different illustrations to show how it is unnatural for both good and evil to come out of the same mouth. Have you ever tried saying something really loving and kind to your wife, husbands, or wives? You're, you're over there, you're trying to be nice, you're trying to be the loving husband, and your kids are screaming and yelling in the background, right? Okay. What, what do you do? Shut up! Okay, you yell at the kids in the back room. I'm trying to do something good here, right? I'm trying to love my wife. Uh, yeah, anyways, okay. So, and that, that's our response. And out of the same mouth, you have what? Good. Katie, you're so beautiful. You're so, you're so amazing. But then at, out of the same mouth, two seconds later, what happens? You're screaming and you're yelling, right? Okay. You have good and you have evil coming out of the same mouth. And we are like this so often. This is the reality. Okay, it's contrary to what, what it ought to be, but it is the reality of how we live most of our lives. We'll, we can say something good and positive one moment, and then out of the same mouth, from the same heart, comes something negative in the next second. And so James uses these illustrations to show why that shouldn't be the case. First of all, he says, he likens us to a fountain. Now, some of the freshest water I've ever had was up in the state of Maine. I, while I was on deputation, I stayed up there for about a month. And uh, this is pure water, no filtration, no uh, chemicals, nothing. And it was ice cold coming out of the tap. This is amazing water. Now, when you get a glass of water, do you take one sip and, oh, it's so good, it's delicious. And then you take another sip and it tastes bitter. Does that happen with, with water? No, it doesn't happen with water. Maybe if you had a glass of milk. You ever get that last little bit of milk down at the bottom of your cup and that thing's nasty? That's the one you leave there and, and rinse out. Okay, so, But it's not milk. He's talking about water and he, and he talks about in this verse here, <clears throat> uh, out of the same mouth proceed to blessing and cursing. Verse 11, doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? And James is saying that this should not be the case. This is not how things are. You get down to the bottom of the cup, it should be just as sweet as it was when you started drinking the water. So water is either sweet or it is bitter. Why? Because it's coming from the same source. The source produces the water. The next example is a fig tree. In verse number 12, Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs, Okay, and we'll stop, we'll stop at that point right there. So you, talk, you think about, let's, let's update it to modern day trees that we would have experience with, apples and oranges, okay? You, don't, you guys probably don't grow figs, right, anybody? So, but apples and oranges, you go up to an apple tree, you don't expect to pull an orange down off of the tree because it's not an orange tree, it's an apple tree. And what the tree is going to produce the fruit of what the tree is, of, of what the tree is intended to produce. Matthew 7, verse 16 says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or th of thistles? And this is the principle here. Our tongues reveal something about us. They tell what's actually inside of our hearts. You can think you're hiding it, but it will eventually come out of your lips. And, it, and that is the fruit of what's coming out of the heart, out of the source of your heart. So he uses a fountain and he uses a fig tree to illustrate this truth. But then the last phrase of verse number 12 says, So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Salt water and fresh. Okay? What happens when you take a glass of salt water and you mix it with a glass of fresh water? 
you got salt water, okay? So now, in Virginia, this is a little bit different. We lived on uh, the Rappahannock River, which connects to the Chesapeake Bay. And about the area where we lived, the salt water from the ocean mixed with the fresh water from, from the coast, okay? And it created, though, something else. It created what we call brackish. Now, brackish basically is just watered-down salt water, okay? But you've got one or the other. You, you're not getting any sweet, fresh water out of that brackish. You can't go take a drink in, in Tappahannock, Virginia, and expect to get something that doesn't taste salty. Because the, the fresh and the salt water, when they mix together, it just becomes diluted salt water. So the same body of water cannot be both fresh and salt at the same time. This is how our, our hearts ought to be. But the reality, according to verse 9, is, let's, let's go and read that, verse 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. This is where we live. This is where most of us are. We come to church on Sunday. We praise God. We praise him that he is an almighty, unchanging, all-powerful God, a holy God, and we sing his praises on Sunday. But then we go home, and we talk negatively, we slander, we criticize our brothers and sisters in Christ. Out of the same mouth, we praise God, and we, and we tear down other men. Luke 6, verse 45. Let's go ahead and turn there. Luke 6, verse 45. <clears throat> tells us a little bit more about this source of our words. Where do these words come from? Why is it that we can speak evil of other men? In Luke 6, verse 45, it says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Now there's a couple important principles just in this, in this one verse right here. It says that a man speaks out of what he has treasured up. Uh, let's go back. Actually, verse, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And the idea here is a good man stores up good things in his heart. Right? You got, you got buried treasure, you've collected this treasure over time, and you stick it in this treasure chest. What you take out is going to be good. It's going to be this good treasure. And he is storing it up. He is treasuring it in his own heart. But then an evil man, what does an evil man do? An evil man takes things and he stores that up in his heart. And, the, and this verse says here that out of that abundance, out of that treasure of his heart, his mouth speaketh. So he treasures it up. He stores it there. We think oftentimes that we are bottling up things so that we don't hurt other people. Have you ever talked about, talked about uh, things that are bottled up inside of you? What happens if you take a soda bottle and you shake it up real, real quick with the lid on? Okay? What's going to happen? It's going to explode. Okay? So eventually when you bottle something up, it's going to come out. It's going to overflow. It says here, out of the abundance of his heart. The treasure has been stored up over and over and over for so long that eventually it overflows. It comes out. It, it overflows and comes out of his mouth because he has bottled it up and he hasn't dealt with it. And I'm not saying necessarily you need to go and you need to talk to everybody about everything because love covers a multitude of sins. 
We can overlook. We can forgive some things. But honestly, if you're getting to the point where you can't get past it and it's bottled up inside of you, what's ultimately going to happen if you keep allowing it to be bottled up and treasured up inside your heart is it is going to overflow. And it's going to overflow at the wrong time. It's not going to come out at the, at the right time when you're in your alone by yourself where you can just scream and yell and get it out of your system, right? Okay. It's going to overflow when that person's right there in front of you doing something that aggravates you, right? And, and so if we bottle these things up, we're not, we're, it's just going to create more destruction in our lives. So if you can't move past something, you must deal with it by communicating and working through that problem. If you harbor it, you bottle it, you store it, the pile is just going to get bigger until it overflows. And that's what's meant by, again, by this phrase, the abundance of the heart. The outflow of the heart causes us to speak. So it is better to communicate and to deal with something before it becomes a rushing, uncontrollable torrent that pours out of our mouths. It's kind of like you're just vomiting, vile anger all over somebody, okay? Bottling things up inside your heart is also where bitterness comes from. You let it sit there long enough. That bitterness is going to rot and decay inside of you and, and, make, and make you bitter. The concept is found in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, where 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? It talks about love and how great love is. And in one of the verses, verse 5 says, that love doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, but here's the key phrase. Love thinketh no evil. This word for thinketh means to keep an account, to keep track of wrongs that have committed against you. If you've got a ledger in your mind where you're thinking about all these bad things that somebody has done to you, you are storing up, you are bottling up that anger and that frustration. And eventually, if you keep adding to that list, it's just going to overflow and it's going to come out of your mouths. So when we allow ourselves the luxury of bottling up these things in our hearts, they're going to come out. The tongue just reveals what was already there. I've got a list here. A, a self-righteous heart produces a judgmental tongue. Out of the heart the mouth speaketh. Self-righteousness produces judgmental tongue. A critical heart produces a critical tongue. A bitter heart produces a toxic bitter tongue. An ungrateful heart produces a complaining tongue. An untrusting heart produces a skeptical tongue. An unfaithful heart produces a worrisome tongue. A loving heart produces a kind tongue. A faithful heart produces a trusting tongue. And a peaceful heart produces a peaceful tongue. So what storm is raging inside of your heart? Eventually it will find its way out through your tongue. So we've talked about the command, don't speak evil one of another. But where does it come from? It comes from our heart. If you keep treasuring it up, it is going to make its way out. The third point is the results of evil speaking. Have you ever heard the taunt, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Yeah, I said that a lot as kids. I said a lot of other weird things too. Like uh, I had this jingle about Barney. I don't know, I grew up at the age when everybody hated on Barney. So. But uh, we went around saying these things. And we never stop and we never ask ourselves, what was wrong? what's wrong with what I am saying? Sticks and stones may break my bones. Yes, they will. But words will never hurt me. Is that true? Do words not actually hurt us? No, they, they do hurt us. Proverbs 18 verse 21 is going to be our key text for this one. Let's turn there. Proverbs 18 verse 21. 
<clears throat> Proverbs 18, verse 21. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This proverb gives us a basic, simple principle. The tongue has the power to destroy, to bring death, or it has the power to bring life. When we talk about the tongue, I'm not talking about your physical tongue like you go buy a cow tongue at the store and eat it, okay? The tongue represents communication, right? The things we say, but it's, I don't even think it's just the things that we say physically with our tongue. It's the communications that we put out there. This is important because we live in a digital age, and where is most of your communication coming from now? It's coming through Facebook or emails or TikTok. I don't know. Do you communicate on TikTok? I don't do TikTok. Okay, or, something, or Instagram or something like that. We're putting out communications, typing, singing, even painting. Painting is a form of communication, right? You are communicating a message. Music. Music is a form of communication. You're communicating a message. And in these forms of communication, you can either impart death or you can impart life. People die because of things that are said. It's not just uh, sticks and stones will ne uh, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The Holocaust, think about it. The Holocaust was the result of a tongue, right? A message, a lie that was said long enough and loud enough that people began to believe it. It began with teaching that the Jews were an evolutionary lower class of people. Nearly 45 of the 105 pages of Hitler's handbook for Hitler's youth was consumed with this idea of racial identity and devaluing the Jews and other racial identities. And it began with the teaching that Jews were exploiting the German people. They even had a movie called The Eternal Jew, which was produced by the Nazi film industry, which talked about Jews being wandering cultural pariahs, seeking to undermine the countries they would go to, and they, would, they said they were consumed with sex and with money. The tongue kills. A message, a message from Hitler killed people because of the words that he said. Um, we have situations where bullying in schools cause, cause people to consider suicide or they get depressed over these things. Um, you constantly have people who are making fun of the way a person looks, acts, thinks, dresses. That can push a person to despair, especially if they have no one to fall back on. With the, with the invention of the internet, social media has just become an outlet for bullies to push other people around. And according to the CDC, there is a correlation between bullying and suicide. And so we see the tongue can kill. In more mundane, everyday situations, a parent who constantly criticizes their child can crush the spirit of their child. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about fathers not provoking your children to wrath. That's not exasperating them, not driving them to despair because of the things that you say. This isn't a physical death, but it is an emotional and it is a relational death. And when we open our mouths to attack and criticize, we are stabbing the other person just as much as if we had a sword in our hands to thrust them through with it. 
the relationship between a parent and a child can die. And so the tongue can kill. But the tongue can also give life. John 6, verse 62 through 68 says, What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you go away also? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Jesus Christ, ultimately, above all, brings the words of life. His, his words were intended to bring us life. As sinful human beings, we have violated God's law, and we deserve, the, we deserve punishment. Romans 6.23 says, but the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages, what we have earned is death because of our sin. But Jesus Christ came and he brought us the message of the gospel. That we could be redeemed. That we could be made alive through him. And Jesus' words brought us life. And so by Jesus Christ dying, being buried, and rising again on the third day, he purchased our salvation for us. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I'm flipping through too many pages here. <clears throat> Defines the gospel. And what is the gospel? Gospel is a message. It's a message of good news, right? What is the gospel? According to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So verse 1, Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, the message of life that Jesus Christ brings. And then he tells us that that gospel is that Christ died for our sins on behalf of us to redeem us from our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And the proof of his resurrection, verse number five, and he was seen. And then it goes on and lists a whole bunch of people who saw him after he rose from the dead. So Jesus comes and he brings us the words of eternal life. They brought healing to our broken souls. Our words can have a similar power. Gary Chapman uses the metaphor of bullets or seeds to speak about our words. We can shoot people and kill people with our words, or we can plant seeds that spring up into a healthy tree in someone else's life. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but per perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. A wholesome tongue is a gentle tongue, and that tongue is a tree of life. And then Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healthy to the bones. 
good, pleasant words are sweet like honey. I don't know how many of you guys like honey. My sister hates honey, but I think that might mean she's not a Christian. But anyways, okay, you got, you got to love honey. Honey is sweet. It's something you can enjoy, right? And pleasant words are sweet. They're nice. They, they're pleasant. They bring life. They open the eyes in other passages it talks about. They're sweet to the soul, and they're not just sweet, but they are health. They bring health to other people. They can heal what is broken. So pleasant words are kind words. Kind words are sweet as honey. Now, some of you probably, like I said, you may, maybe you don't like honey, but we can all understand this idea of sweetness. Do your words make us more broken, or do they fix? Do they heal? Do they soothe? The tongue can heal. Imagine a girl who has been mocked all day at school and runs straight to her home. She slams her door and locks it. Behind that door, her tears flow unquenchably. Her parents could come. And they could scold her for slamming the door, because probably wouldn't that be your first response, right? Okay, you, you hear this door slamming, that's, that's the thing we naturally go to. Or they could come and they could speak words of healing to her. They could encourage her, infuse her with the strength and courage to make it through another day, lift her up with the words of love and affirmation. The tongue can heal. A man goes to work each day and it's a struggle. Maybe he doesn't feel like he can keep up. Or he ha just has something on his mind. Let's say it's a fast food restaurant like Chick-fil-A. That's my experience, okay? The manager can come up to you and he sees that you're being a little slow. He has two choices. He can yell and scream at you saying, you need to pick, pick it up or I'm going to move you or let you go home. Okay, and what does it mean if I let you go home? You don't get paid, okay? So they can yell at you and that's honestly how fast food re restaurants are mostly run, right? Or they can come alongside you and they can encourage you. And they can help you get through that rush to make you feel like you are a part of the team. Honestly, that's probably what makes a good manager versus a bad manager. But most of our world is bad managers. That's just how it is. The tongue can heal. A husband comes home to a house that looks like an F5 tornado just come through. Okay? Been there. <laughs> so my kids still have not learned that it's easier to clean up if you put it away right after you use it rather than 10 years later when you decide to clean your room. Okay? So... <laughs> But the husband comes home, and it's an F5 tornado through there. And the wife has been struggling with one of the kids refusing to listen the entire day. The kids will not pick up their messes. And she started doing the dishes, and the dishwasher overflooded. And on top of all that, she is running a fever, so she's feeling sick. Okay, I'm making painting worst-case scenario here, okay? <clears throat> he could come home, and he could make a rude comment about the mess. Or he can say words like, let me help you with that. Are you feeling all right? Let's get some medicine in you, okay? Uh, or I'll take care of the children for a while. You go take a break. He can speak words of appreciation. Honey, I know how hard you are working, and I love you. So the tongue has the power to destroy. It can bring death. Or the tongue can bring life, and it can heal. This is true in our churches as well as in our homes and in our jobs. We can constantly criticize each decision that has been made. Maybe somebody makes a mistake. Okay, we do. People make mistakes. And we feel the need to chime in. Our prayer requests can even turn into gossip sessions where we're just talking about somebody else. And we can speak against people because of the conflict or stress that they added to our lives. And we feel by not, not doing what they should have done, we should lash out at them. But none of these things bring life. 
Instead, we can come along and we can encourage someone to keep on trying to grow. Offer to help them in any way you can. Focus on the good things about that person. Proverbs 10, verse 11 says, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. In a righteous man's mouth, there is a well of life. He has life to give to other people. And so our, li our lips can produce death or they can produce life. Now let's turn back to James chapter number four. Just look at our text verse again. James 4, verse 11. <clears throat> Speak not evil one of another. That's our command. Don't speak it. Don't say it against one another, brethren. Because if we do, we are guilty of judging. Now at the heart of speaking evil of one another is an evil heart that has stored up a critical, bitter, hateful, angry thoughts. Honestly, I grew up in a home that was, that was constantly critical. Even today when I'm around my family, most of my family members only have negative things to say about me. They love my wife and kids, but not about me. That, that's not how the conversation goes, okay? And that's, that's how I grew up. And it has had an effect on me growing up. The Bible teaches about the sins of the fathers and, and their children. And in Exodus 20, it talks about uh, sins being perpetuated to the fourth generation. Well, that's, that's true. I see that so many times. But in the end, this is what I have to, I have to take an account for myself. I am guilty, just as much as they are. And there have been times where I have been critical and I have been negative. This is probably my besetting sin. We talked about backsliding this morning. This is where I struggle the most, okay? Now, because I struggle with, the mo with it a lot, I tried to spend a lot of time correcting this in my life. I listened to a devotion by John Piper on overcoming a critical spirit. And in that devotion, he gave these seven different suggestions. And I found them to be helpful. The first one is you need to see the sin in your own life, right? It's very difficult to throw stones at other people when you know how guilty you actually are. You remember Jesus and the woman caught in adultery? What did he ask all those hypocrites and those Pharisees? Let him that is without ask the first stone. If you realize who you are and how guilty you are, it will curb your desires to be overly critical of other people and to tear them down with your words. Second thing is never lose sight of what you have been saved from and what it cost and how much of your life still needs to change. Look back at your life before you got saved. How bad was that? How, how much sin consumed your life before you became a Christian? Okay, think about that. But more importantly, think about this. What did it cost Jesus Christ to redeem you from that sin? And then think about how much you've got left to change even now. The third thing, suggestion he gave is give thanks for everything. A thankful heart and a critical heart can't be the same thing. If you're giving thank thanks all the time, it'll help you overcome being overly critical. Fourth one is meditate on what love is and how essential it is to the Christian life. If we are loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, again, love thinketh no evil, right? So if we meditate on this and, and God's love is developed inside of our lives, we're not going to speak evil of other people. Fifth thing is ask yourselves, what good is it going to do to be so critical? What is it going to benefit? If I go and I lash out at this person, is it going to make my life any easier? 
Is it going to make them any better? Honestly, no. People don't respond well to criticism. They don't respond well to being uh, torn down constantly. In fact, they usually go the opposite direction. They become worse. <clears throat> Sixth thing, develop a view that is bigger. Be amazed at the world that you are living in. And then the seventh is, fill your mind, your heart, and your mouth with praise. And then I would add, learn to forgive others and process your feelings by taking them to God. Ultimately, out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if you're struggling with this, it's a heart problem. You've got to take those problems and you've got to deal with them and take them to the Lord and let him deal with them. Corey Ten Boom once said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. The criticism, the bitterness, the anger that's bottled up inside of you is ultimately hurting you more than it is hurting other people. And so when you choose to forgive, yes, you are setting them free, but you are also setting yourself free from the bondage that you've bound yourself in because of your anger. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to have a time of invitation tonight. Challenge again. We're talking about how do we relate to one another in the church, okay? We talked about the positives, loving, forgiving, um, helping, bearing one another's burdens. But now we're talking about what we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be judging and we shouldn't be tearing each other down with the words that we say. The pianist can come. We'll go ahead and play a couple songs. We'll have a time of invitation. If you need to make anything right, the altar is always open for you to come and to pray and talk to the Lord. Um, but also, I will be down here. If you do not know the Lord as your Savior, feel free to come down and talk to either myself or my wife. We'll, we'll uh, take you aside and, and somebody can talk to you and show you how you can know the Lord as your Savior. Let's go ahead and just pray to the Lord today. Tim, do you mind closing us in prayer tonight? Thank you.